like why didn't you call me back and then he was like who the f- are you so i was just like how are we dating anymore so, you know like I, I can't believe it's so rude welcome in welcome, welcome to the carpenter queens podcast coming to you live from the employee bathroom at the tcq video store where you can pick up the best and worst in horror for only 69 cents a day welcome in fellow queerdos i am a lonely stoner with everything to lose and nothing to prove Raymond. Hello, everyone. I'm suffering from bad bitch syndrome, and there is, in fact, no cure. My name is Nicholas. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everyone. This is our final month. Our final themed month of our, this is our end of our season. This is our last, this is it. This is the end. This is the end. (laughs) The end is nigh. The end is nigh. (laughs) How do you feel? We're so close. We're literally down to our last five episodes. And I'm probably going to ask you every single time because I enjoy this so much. But how are you feeling after all of it? I didn't expect to like for this to really go anywhere, to be honest. <laughs> like, I well, I don't want to say that. I just I didn't know what to expect when we started this. I love where it's where it's gone. I love where it's taken us. I love the people that we've interacted with. I love the audience that we've grown. I love, quite honestly, I love our interaction and our banter and the like magic, quite honestly, that happens in the editing room when you throw all this all this together. I quite honestly, like I enjoy our podcasts and this podcast <laughs> for me is for me. <laughs> if other people, if other people want to listen, great, listen in because we just sit here and talk mad shit. So if y'all enjoy talking shit, they come over here and sit next to us. Okay. I will tell you everything you need to know. <laughs> but same, I love doing this every week. We're just two big giant nerds who lovingly talk shit about the movies that we love so much. And that's pretty much <laughs> it. And it's, it's grown into this wonderful thing. And I can't believe we're going on 30 episodes and then we're already planning and we're so excited for season two. So this is just, what? This is amazing. And I love, love every week doing this for two hours. And we just get like, this is our excuse to hang out every week. Mm-hmm. So I love it. This is our weekly sesh. This is our weekly sesh. Y'all don't understand, okay? We need to relax and get away from the hustle and bustle of running a VHS rental place. It is extremely stressful. You don't Oh, I know. Especially when y'all want to come in and use the bathroom with your explosive diarrhea. Nah, or- nah, nah. <laughs> Take that shit down to Soup Plantation, Barbara. Not only that, you never put anything back where it belongs. Alphabetical order matters, people. Mm-mm. That's why the uh, bathroom is always quote unquote out of order. <laughs> and this month we are heading to different vacation spots every week for some much needed R&R. Our final month is our summer getaways. Bitch, I'm ready to go. Let's go. Because we have an Airbnb for Cabin in the Woods. Ooh. Ooh. But before we can go get lost in the woods, we have our ever wonderful slice news update. <laughs> and she's extra meaty today. Ew, don't use that. <laughs> so meaty. Q. 
Kicking off our Slice News update, our favorite little murderous good guy dolls heading to television, y'all. The Chucky TV series dropped its trailer at Comic-Con at home. We got our first taste of the upcoming series by the infamous Don Mancini. Thoughts? I am so stoked. I initially was very hesitant when they stated there's going to be a series. I think most mm-hmm. people were, but this just kind of shut all that shit down for me because this feels like a lost child's play movie we never got to have and I'm so excited for <laughs> it. <laughs> yes. So currently it is set to premiere on October 12th on Sci-Fi and USA and it will star Brad Dourif returning as Chucky. Jennifer Tilly returning as Tiffany. The cast also includes Fiona Dourif as Nika Pierce, Alex Vincent as Andy Barclay, and Christine Elise as Kyle, with Devin Sawa set to start as well. I, <sighs> Brad Dourif. So dope. This is so dope. I've been very hesitant about revivals, but then we always get something that I'm like, oh, never mind. Like, this is totally great. <laughs> We're always, like, sick of the reboots until it's something we actually want to see. (laughs) Clap if you care. I mean, it's going to continue the storylines from the original movies and their most recent sequels, which is, of course, Curse and Cult of Chucky. Highly suggest. But the storyline is as follows. After a vintage Chucky doll turns up at a suburban yard sale, an idyllic American town is thrown into chaos as a series of horrifying murders begin to expose the town's hypocrisies and secrets. Meanwhile, the arrival of enemies and allies from Chucky's past threatens to expose the truth behind the killings, as well as the demon doll's untold origins as a seemingly ordinary child who somehow becomes the notorious monster. Yeah, I'm so for this. I'm so for mm-hmm. all of this. Get to, go. They had me at Don Mancini and Brad Dourif. I know, to be quite <laughs> honest. And then once they brought back on Jennifer Tilly, it was like, oh, we're in, in. Okay, mm-hmm. this is exciting stuff. I'm actually very excited for this one. I can't wait to see where it goes. Cause I, what? Like, how do you do this in a in a TV format? Who knows? That's why I'm tentatively excited about this. I'm not all the way in. In other horror news, a horror maestro James Wan is coming back to theaters with Malignant. It is set to release in theaters and on HBO Max on September 10th, 2021. The trailer recently premiered, and what are your first thoughts, feelings, wishes, worries? Where are you at? I'm on the fence. Ooh, that's Only where she's all- at. Only because I didn't get a whole lot of story from the trailer, which is fine. This is still, mm-hmm. like, the, I think the first trailer, so I'm hoping we get at least one more before the movie premieres. Because that's right around the corner, quite honestly. I know. But I'm usually on board with anything James Wan. Um, as we've stated multiple times on this podcast, this is <laughs> a uh, James Wan Stan podcast. So <laughs> I'm, I'm interested. He has great visuals, so I'm yeah. excited for that. I know from the visuals that we've got so far, and I think that's why you're hesitant. We only got visuals. They were mm-hmm. great. They were inventive, and I really liked what he was doing. But okay, because the storyline <laughs> is as follows: <laughs> paralyzed by fear from shocking visions, a woman's torment worsens as she discovers her waking dreams are terrifying realities. And I do—I don't mean this in a bad way. Do not take this as a bad way. But I'm just like that could be anything. That is any horror movie. So I just like I don't know what to get from this quick synopsis. Exactly. But my interest is speaks. 
But in our last update, a new trilogy is coming our way. It looks like David Gordon Green is coming up with a quote, maybe reboot for Blumhouse and will sequel the 1973 classic, The Exorcist. It is going to be a continuation in that film, first film's timeline. So the first film is slated for a theatrical release on October 13th of 2023, and the unnamed sequel is then slated for two more films to follow. I'm exhausted just reading this and thinking that about it. That was a lot, wasn't it? It's a it lot. It is. You're already trying to reboot a series that's been rebooted, and within this reboot, you're trying to make it a trilogy? Why? Drupology? Because it's going to be a continuation from the first film. So those are involved. So, so, okay. The reason why it worked for Halloween is that Halloween's timeline got so convoluted and multiple different iterations. So it made sense that you wanted to wipe the slate and just keep it clean. This, for me, doesn't make sense because I do not think The Exorcist needs to be touched. Exactly. The TV series was actually a surprisingly good time, the first season at least. But this just, I don't know. I don't know. I have the weirdest mixed feelings for this. Am I in the am I in the trenches by myself on that? No, I agree 100%. Hold on, let me just jump back to the Exorcist series really quick. <laughs> fuck me, that first season was amazing. That first season was fantastic. I don't know why I didn't continue watching the second season. I don't know if it got bad. I think it got bad and that's why I stopped watching. But that first season smacked y'all. Anyways, that priest was so hot. So fucking hot. I follow him so on Instagram. Oh, um, Send me that link later. Done. Uh, I agree. This Exorcist, the Exorcist does not need a sequel. It's a total like standalone classic on its own. It feels odd. It feels so odd. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, this is coming anyway. But the original star of the 1973 hit, Ellen Burstein, will reprise her role as Chris McCain. McNeil? McNeil. Oh, McNeil. McNeil? <laughs> Is that right? Say McNeil again. McNeil. <laughs> Say crack again. Crack. The original star of the 1973 hit, Ellen Burstein, will reprise her role as Christine McNeil, the mother of Reagan. Although, Linda Blair has recently stated that there has been no discussions about her appearance in the newly announced project. What? I mean, yeah, no, this just feels weird. I don't like this feeling so far. Exactly. How are you going to reboot a series and not have Linda Blair in it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I w- Give me a trailer. That's all I'm going to say. Give me a trailer. <laughs> we'll see you at the trailer. <laughs> we are going to move on to this week's movie. So let's get this party started. It's time to appease the ancient ones and talk this manifest of a film. Our first vacation getaway is to a secluded and quiet forest to drink. Yeah! smoke pot and make out with some taxidermy animals we are talking 2012's the cabin in the woods what are marijuana tablets (laughs) everybody ready acquiring targets we're looking for uh... tillerman road i'll get you there getting back that's your concern this is awesome no way Lock them in. The lambs have come to the killing floor. Something weird is going on. What is that thing? Someone sent those things here to get us. 
We gotta get out of here. Oh my god, what is this place? April 13th. Kevin in the Woods currently streaming on Peacock. <laughs> I want to see your Peacock, cat, cat, your Peacock, cat. <laughs> Kevin in the Woods currently streaming on Peacock for free with ads. Otherwise, you could buy it. And I highly suggest you own it. Please it's buy it. Movie. The special features are so good. Yes, they are. But speaking of the movie, uh, 420, what you smoking? What did you pair with this week's episode? This week, I had to bring out Laura's little smoking piece and smoke some joints that mm. I rolled myself, by the oh. way. I know. How very Marty of you. They, I felt like it was ne- necessary for this week's episode. What did you smoke? I did the same. Oh my God, twinsies. In, in honor of Marty, R.I.P., I rolled me a fatty and smoked it with this week's screening. I find it so funny that we're finally talking about Marty because we talked about Marty in our 420 episode and you mentioned that he was your favorite character and we never actually planned to do this movie yet, like at all when we talked about it. I had definitely planned to cover this at some point. I hadn't, but it wasn't set in stone for sure. But yeah, if you if y'all watched or excuse me, listened to our 420 episode, um, I Marty is my number one stoner in cinema history he's he's perfection and i cannot wait to talk about him let's move into our breakdown the cabin in the woods released april 13th 2012 we have a runtime of a very clean one hour and 35 minutes i feel like it uses that time wisely and it's fast mm-hmm. for our taglines uh, disclaimer, y'all. <laughs> These are not the best taglines. They're but we're gonna read them They're anyways. so weird. <laughs> All right, let's dive into it. If you hear a strange sound outside, have sex. What the fuck? Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> okay, I had to compose myself. <laughs> go, go, go on. If an old man warns you not to go in there, Make fun of him. Quaint abandoned property sold. You think you know the story? I do. (laughs) Hold on. Jackie just threw their hands up right now because of that fucking tagline. (laughs) If the basement door swings open, go down there. Five friends go to a cabin in the woods. Bad things happen. We work with what we have. There is a greater good, and for that, you must be sacrificed. If something is chasing you, split up. These taglines, I understand that they're playing with the old school. They remind me of the movie tropes, but they remind me of when Grindhouse did their fake ads. And Uh it was, don't, don't go into the woods. Don't open the door. (laughs) So I like that they're playing with this. It just feels awkward. It just feels so awkward. A little, yeah. I think if I had to choose any, I like the, um, if the basement door swings open, go down there. Or even the, like, five friends going to the cabin in the woods, bad things happen. Because it's just, like, very meta. I think that probably would have been the best bet. If I had to pick any of these ones, I would probably go with the five friends as well. Because everything else just feels 
so on the nose and like it knows and thinks it's so funny within in itself and just the tagline it bugs me I agree I agree you bug me sir you bug me this bothers me this bothers me but our film is directed by Drew Goddard in his directorial debut it is also co-written by both Drew Goddard and Joss Whedon quick note because we have to state the elephant in the room joss whedon has come under fire for multiple allegations against him and he's kind of a monster turns out he's kind of an asshole but is that very surprising from white men in hollywood who have massive amounts of power i just we've done this before we talk about horrible people influencing something but this is going to be an interesting aspect because Joss Whedon has come out as a person who's done horrible things, but his work is so well regarded. So it's Mm going to be difficult to try to kind of separate those two, but we've Mm -hmm. done it before and we'll do it again, but we have to address it. No, yes, absolutely. We have to, we 100% agree. We recognize people accountable. Yes. And we're going to move on from the horrible person that is Joss Whedon with referencing him yet again because he co-wrote this with the director, Drew Goddard. And I think that really aids itself because if Drew wrote it, he knows exactly how he wants it. I love when we watch things when it's a writer-director taking full control of it because this film totally reflects that. Mm Mm-hmm. Starring Kristen Connolly as Dana Polk. Chris Hemsworth. Oh my God, hold on. I know. Did you get all moist? Yes, starring (laughs) the daddy, Chris Hemsworth as Kurt. What? Vaughn? Vaughn, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And this is a pre-Thor fame. Technically, but not technically. So he filmed these before he got Thor, but these got caught up in an MGM lockdown because MGM Mm -hmm. went bankrupt and it wouldn't have been picked up by Lionsgate until later. So technically this came out after Thor. Correct. Which I was gagged. I remember when I went to see this. I was like, Thor's in this? I know. I know. (laughs) And I love him in this. Uh, Anna Hutchison as Jules Luden. Fran Kranz as Marty Mikowski. Jesse Williams as Holden Ugh. McCree. Oh, Jesse Williams, I know. He's I know. So, I know. So um, Richard Jenkins as Gary Sitterson. Bradley Whitford as, as Steve Hadley. Brian J. White as Daniel Truman. Also Amy so Acker. Hot. Brian J. White. Oh, is he the security guard? Yes, he's yes. so hot. Amy Acker as Wendy Lynn. Tim Dizam as Mordecai, Jodel Ferlin as Patience Buckner, and Sigourney motherfucking Weaver as the motherfucking director. Come on. This cast is wonderful. I love all the tropes they play. It's mm-hmm. Sigourney fucking Weaver. Get away from her, you bitch. Like, Ripley. hello. Not only that, we also got Jodel Ferland, who is our main protagonist kind of in silent hill she plays a creepy little girl who goes in silent hill <gasps> oh yeah mm-hmm. not to mention um tim dazam as mordecai tim dazam was in the texas chainsaw reboots like the weird ones no way really mm-hmm, 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 i did not mm-hmm. know this information look at me learning yes. new things every day <laughs> 
For our reviews, our IMDb score is a 7 out of 10. Metacritic gave it a 72 out of 100. AV Club gave it a miraculous A-. minus. Wow, they were feeling generous. Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 92% on the tomato meter score and a 74% audience score. This is so interesting because I don't think we've ever seen quite the dip like this. I know. Usually if there's a dip, it's the other way around. Exactly. So clearly this was a critical darling and all the critics were fawning over this self-referential meta thing. While audiences were kind of like, this is fine. (laughs) yeah (laughs) i don't think the general audience was quite tapped into the meta-ness of the movie or the like you know the references like if you weren't like a horror geek who know all these references this movie's gonna be really weird to you like you go in expecting a quite honestly a cabin in the woods movie and then you get this so if you if you weren't a horror nerd who who recognizes all these tropes i can guess see why you were confused that is the biggest problem for me on this movie because they're constantly doing this referential thing that it just feels like it's too much and thinks it's so smart that for that the most interesting part of this movie for me is the last and third act when you finally get to discover this factory and all the things explode besides that this kind of feels like someone put like scream in a blender and threw all the other movies on there and just kind of said yeah fuck horror man <laughs> like it feels like, so rowy like someone drank 10 tall cans of monster energy drink and rewrote the scream script not red bull four locos which is even worse oh you don't love yourself oh, <laughs> Uh, but we do have a box office worldwide gross of 69 million. So I would say that's pretty significant. I don't know for Hollywood, because usually they want to see bigger numbers than that. But I mean, it made its money back. Go off, sis. Pop off, sis. Moving on to production. For our script, Drew Goddard and Joss Whedon wanted to work together after having worked on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel together. They devised the idea around the concept of a cabin in the woods and as to why bad things consistently happen to these poor blonde girls in scary movies. But imagine how tired we are. Imagine how tired we are of it. Inspiration for the underground facility and the workers came from Drew Goddard's upbringing around Los Alamos, New Mexico, a facility filled with scientists and co-workers all going about their business and living seemingly routine and ordinary lives, even though they were building nuclear weapons that could potentially destroy the world. Wow. I wasn't... Okay, so this sounds stupid. Like, it wasn't as evident to me until I read that quote, and I was like, oh, Duh. Like, (laughs) that makes total sense. And I think it adds this layer of weirdly, like, adorableness to all of these working workers doing these, like, atrocities to people. Yeah. It's almost like a horror movie meets The Office. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best way to put it. Do you think they get, like, a 401k? Also get, there's not even, they even get dental. The film would receive a budget of about $30 million and principal photography would begin on March 9th of 2009 in and around Vancouver, Canada and concluded on May of 2009. The first shot though planned for production would be the group arriving at the gas station. However, the day the scene was meant to be shot, it ended up snowing so hard they had to move on with shooting and return back once the snow melted. 
I wouldn't have clocked any of this because apparently the elements proved to be pretty difficult on set with multiple shoots having to be shifted because of rain, because of snow, which I mean, it just happens when you're out in nature, honey. I mean, it's called Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> I, I agree. I wouldn't have clocked it either. The sets in this movie are stunning. Stunning and sickening. The Cabin in the Woods implements excellent practical effects. Dave Leroy Anderson would lead the charge on the designs. Heather Langenkamp Anderson aided in this work. On our previous episode, Freddie goes gay for pay. We mistakenly stated that Heather was married to Kevin Yeager. She is actually married to Dave Anderson. Together, their company, Air Effect, excuse me, AFX Studios, handled the creature designs. Whoopsies. Our badness, but we recorrected. Uh, but I loved <laughs> seeing the special effects that Heather Lamb, once Heather popped up, I was like, <gasps> Royalty. <laughs> royalty! <laughs> Seriously, that's horror royalty. I love that she does special effects and the fact that she helped with the special effects on this movie because the practical Bitch. effects in this movie are ridiculous. I love them. I love them. You know us, we have a hard on for practical effects. <laughs> and this movie is chock full of them because the director famously stated that if they could do it in camera, he wanted to do it in camera. And a lot, a lot is done in camera. I think that's why this movie is just like beautiful. If you can catch that blood squirting out of that mermaid, like on on set, please. Merman pop. Merman. Merman. But AFX Studios was greenlit for work on December 15th of 2008, a few weeks before the official start date of January 1st of 2009. This gave the studio only two months to create the massive work required for this film. I don't know how they pulled this together. Well, apparently they... It was a not a shit show, but it was quite the... Uh, coming together of like an entire community of special effects makeup artists because the only way they were able to complete this tremendous workload was by hiring around 70 talented artists at the peak point in production and created a giant warehouse to create these wicked designs. Around 140 people aided in the special effects across the production. Wow. We're talking like people who just specifically worked on hair, who worked on modeling, who worked on creating these designs. The, like, it was literally an army to create these monsters and it just looks like they had the best but stressful time. It, I love all of these designs. There isn't a design that I'm not too fond of, quite honestly. Same, I love every single one of them. They got everything from like creature features to like fantasy creatures, it's amazing. It's beautiful. She's got a point. She's an icon. She's a legend. And she is the moment. Now, come on now. AFX Studios turned, quote, close to a thousand people into around 60 different monster designs. Once production moved to the British Columbia Institute of Technology Aerospace Building, the massive set used for the underground laboratory ended up being way too large. They needed to fill the space with more monsters during the chaotic ending. But by this time, everything had already been shipped and sent to Vancouver from the original warehouses in Burbank, California, which is why digital special effects creatures were used to fill this giant space. Even though I will say I, it never pulls me out. I think they're done well, they're done lightly, and I think mm -hmm. that's why it works so well. I agree, because most of it, like we said, was shot in camera and they created these 
amazing creatures. So kudos, kudos. Uh, all, all the claps for AFX Studios. <laughs> Even the eye gouge scene included magnetic special effects. In order to have Kristen Connolly's character Dana impale the zombie with the crowbar, they attach a magnetic piece underneath the makeup worn by actor Dan Shea and attached a moving crowbar held up by a green plastic line that attached the magnetic plate. They could swing the crowbar prop into the face perfectly every time without harming the actor. We love to see these practical We love to see it. If you can merge computer effects and special effects to do shit like that, because that eye gouge scene still makes me go, oh, oh, (laughs) no. (laughs) It still makes you cringe. (laughs) But for the bloody epic elevator scene, about 120 to 220 gallons of blood were used in order to coat every inch of this hallway space. This is the sickest set. I think it's fucking rad. It gives me like the shining vibes without mm-hmm. actually being the shining. Like, come on. And there's an excellent camera gag that they use later on. It's huge and it's impressive. Amen. Hey, well, how, <laughs> many, how, how many men have you said that? Ow. <laughs> Shauna Chupik, the costume designer for the film, had to create costumes for every single one of these character designs, and it had to be applauded. About 100 monsters and 70 zombies and a massive amount of other designs. Everybody was just at the top of their game during this production, and it looks like everybody just had a great time bringing this ridiculous script to life. The evidence is there, Mama. (laughs) Look, Look at it all, Mama. Look at it all, Mama. I loved it, and I... Silence! Bring back my ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's begin with the movie. The movie opens with its credits. We get blood and imagery of different rituals and sacrifices. And once these credit ends, we cut to a pair of middle-aged men walking through some kind of facility, talking about mundane details about their marriage and potential children, while a younger woman in a lab coat is trying to inform them about an incident at the Stockholm facility. Stockholm went south. The two men are not particularly concerned about what she's telling them, but they mention that the facility in Japan will get the job done, and that their U.S. facility usually comes in second place. As they board a golf cart and drive off, the younger of the two men invites the older one to come over to his house for the upcoming weekend. And we get a title card! The most frightening title card. I hate this title card, (laughs) but I love this title card. When I first saw this, I thought I watched, I thought I had popped in the wrong movie for a minute. I was like, what? Did I did I not red box the right movie? What's going on here? It was an um, intentional diversion and No, I get that diverting. now. It really does, and it scares the shit out of you with that title card, but it's a that, it, it's a good opener. That title card is aggressive. That title card is is so aggressive. But I don't mind this opening. I think it's fun. So the thing I'm gonna mention, and I'm probably gonna keep bringing up, is that I think this script thinks it's so much smarter than like it wants to be does that make sense yes 
Because I do yes. think the script is smart. I do think that it is fun. And we're going to say this word multiple times, y'all. It is the word of the episode. Meta. Meta, meta, meta. <laughs> meta, meta, meta. If you say it three times in a mirror, Kevin Williamson appears. So just move forward. <laughs> That's truly the horror. It is Sure, I, I don't, I think it's fun. I think it's a it's a good diversion, but you mentioned it. Was your first time watching it through Redbox? I, you know, now that I'm thinking back on it, I want to say it was, because I didn't get to see this in the theaters, because I remember I'd seen the posters, mm-hmm. and I was like, meh, I didn't know what to make of it, and I saw this at Cabin in the Woods, so I thought it was like some tacky, like reboot, whatever, and um, and then I was hearing good things about it. And by this point, it was already way long gone. It was in Redbox by this time. So I remember like uh-huh. I Redboxed it and I went home and I popped it in. And like it, it but aside from the opening credits, it starts in this like office setting with these guys driving through like a warehouse type deal. And so for the entire like conversation, he's not even listening. The other guy's talking to him and goes, are you even listening to me? And then that's when we get the title card and it scares the shit out of you. And then, then then you realize, yeah, you are in the right theater. I am in the right movie, but you mentioned it and I'm glad you mentioned it. This came kind of towards at the tail end of all of these reboots. And that's what this movie is making fun of. I understand that. But like I can see why you missed it. And I think that's probably why like the audiences weren't on board with this movie. It's probably why the scores were kind of like, yeah, this is a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they weren't in on the joke. The scene shifts to a room in a college town where Dana and Jules are talking about school. Apparently Dana had an affair with one of her professors and it ended badly. Professor Fuckwad. Ah! <laughs> Nobody asked. Jules' boyfriend, Kurt, played by the infamous zaddy Chris Hemsworth. Mm. I loved him. I love him with his hair like this. He looks mm-hmm. so oh, fine. God, I know. Uh, I lost my, <laughs> lost my train of thought. Uh, <laughs> where were we? He, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> he walks in and throws a football at the girls. It flies out the window, and Kurt's friend, Holden, Holden, Holden <laughs> catches it outside. He is a fix-up for Dana. The guys are there to pick up the girls for a long weekend at a lakeside cabin at Kirk's. Kirk's. His name is Kurt, not Kirk. That Kurt's cousin owns. Dana finishes packing and they all go downstairs to pack up the RV. They are about to leave when their friend Marty pulls up with his car smoking pot from a huge bong that converts into a travel mug. Enter our favorite f***ing character, the stoner Marty. You wanna get high? So good. Okay, so we're introduced to our core cast of characters and we're mm-hmm. instantly given archetypes. We need them. We need them. And this is our way into the storyline. What are your first impressions of like all of these characters and their interactions? Yeah, like they're, they're archetypes. We have Dana, the, uh, the quote unquote virgin. And then we have Jules, the Blonde. slut, I guess. <laughs> and then we have Kurt, the jock. And then we have Jesse, who's by the end of it, or like by the by the time they get to the cabin, the like nerd. And then we have uh, Marty, who is Shaggy. Uh, shaggy, <laughs> yes. But the archetype is that he's the jester, the jokester, or whatever. I like all of these characters, but to the me, fool. It, they called him the fool. The fool. I like all of these characters, but these characters feel like they're straight out of. Buffy and straight out of like Kevin Williamson and I know that's because of Joss Whedon but Joss Whedon does this like 
meta thing. See, there we go again. Meta thing. Because <clears throat> Dana is clearly not the version. She was just busy fucking her professor. Oh my God. Time and place. And then we get Kurt, who's supposed to like divert. And then cause he's talking to Dana about her books that she's packing. You should read this, Gervoski. Now this is way more interesting. Also, Bennett doesn't know it by heart. So he'll think you're insightful and you have no pants. <gasps> oh, it's it's fine. Like I think it's fine. I don't know why I can't like like these characters. The only person I like is Marty. I think it's because we relate so much to Marty. Because, <laughs> and, and and we'll get into it once we like actually get to the cabin on why we relate so much to Marty. Um, but I, whether it was intentional or not, I kind of feel like Joss Whedon wrote them to be unlikable because they are supposed to be sacrifices. So you don't want to get too attached to them. This is true. You make a very valid point because we immediately cut back to the video screens in the previously seen facility where the two middle-aged men are revealed to be Citizen and Hadley. They are watching all of this happen. Apparently, they have been drugging the kids through various means. Hair dye for Jules when she dyed her hair blonde. Also, we forgot to mention, I love her open. It's like, hi, you like my hair? Okay, you're not answering. I'm getting self-conscious <laughs> now. <laughs> yes, yes, that was a great one. <laughs> Say something about my hair. I got bangs. Do you like them? PSA for our PSA. Don't <laughs> do the bangs. I'm telling you right now, don't get the bangs. You're gonna regret it. You're gonna, gonna regret, regret it. it. And but they don't say why they're doing all of these things. I, the development of the facility is my most is my favorite stuff. Think is the most interesting. But mm -hmm. the balancing act between the two, I have to applaud, is really interesting because you are supposed to relate and like these group of characters. I don't particularly like them, not towards the end, but you're also kind of like relate and like these facility people. Like it's a really interesting dichotomy of both. Yeah, because they they do a really good job of, yes, these, well, as we get into it, you'll see that these people who work at this facility are essentially doing the devil's work. And, <laughs> but they also throw in these snippets of, humanity and this dark humor that makes you sympathize with these characters and you kind of slowly realize that they're just doing their jobs <laughs> so it almost makes you sympathize <laughs> i also love the relationship between citizen and hadley also when we get introduced to the security guard because that's our way into this facility and that's how we like learn new things but mm -hmm. i love when he's like you can call me honey toes like <laughs> the writing of this is so i do have to admit the writing is fun sometimes it feels like it's too much like oh we have to put a joke here we have to put a joke here and we have to put a joke here but yeah. like the ones that land fucking killed me death to all of them oh, the group is close to the cabin when they stop for gas and directions. The attendant, Mordecai, is old, unfriendly, and more than just a little bit crazy. He tells them that they will have no problem getting to the cabin. It's the getting back that they should be worried about. The kids laugh him off, and he becomes sarcastic and aggressive. And there's almost a fight when he refers to Jules as a whore. Instead, everyone gets back into the RV, and they drive away. They have to go through a U-shaped tunnel in the mountain to get to the cabin. As they pass through it, a bird tries to fly across the ravine and hits an invisible shield. It electrocutes the bird and it falls presumably to its death. I love Mordecai. 
Kai. Because, <laughs> because of course, you got to run into the crazy gas station attendant before you get to your destination. Come on, Texas Chainsaw. Who's got, who's got to warn you about the horrors that lie ahead? Demons, gargoyles. It's all ungodly. She's not a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> It, this interaction is so fun, but it. This, my only problem with this movie is that it's trying to be so referential that it just becomes within in itself a cliche. Sometimes it works really, really well and it's funny because later on when we get <laughs> my favorite lines through Mordecai, it, uh-huh. it's fucking, fucking great. I will say that bird scare definitely fucking got me just because a lot of these scares come out of nowhere. Yeah, which, but they work. They it's do. not like uh I mean I, there are some I feel like a boo jump scare but these mm-hmm. like jump scares actually make sense to the story and they just happen to like work within the film. Exactly. And I think that's it. Meanwhile, back at the facility, the phone rings and Hadley answers. It's Mordecai. We get one of the best co- phone conversations in like film cinema. It's as follows. The lambs have passed <laughs> the lambs have passed through the gate. They are coming to the killing floor. Well, you're uh, you're doing a great job out there. By the numbers, man. You got to start off just right, so uh, we'll talk to you later, okay? Their blind eye sees nothing of the horrors to come. Their ears have stopped. They are God's fools. Well, uh, that's how it works. Cleanse them. Cleanse the world of their ignorance and sin. Bathe them in the crimson of... Am I on speakerphone? No, 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 absolutely not. Yes, I am. I can hear the echoes. That's rude. I don't know who's in the room. (laughs) (laughs) This is the best character reveal. I fucking love this interaction. It is so fucking funny. It was hilarious. And so that's why I didn't mind this whole cheesy, uh, you know, gas station attendant, because then we got to see the flip side of it. (laughs) While, yes, he's one word for word the trope <laughs> on the flip side like the people who work at this facility know he's a trope and so they're just like fucking with him and they're like <laughs> they are so sick of hearing his biblical babble bullshit that they just put him on speakerphone and read him down he's the guy that's been with the company since they started and we're just kind of <laughs> like why is he still here <laughs> Well, he gets the job done, so that's why they keep him around. They arrive at the cabin and unpack. It's obvious that they are still being watched by cameras set up by the facility. Holden is in his bedroom, though, putting on his bathing suit when he notices an awful painting on the wall. He takes it down, and underneath it is the two-way mirror into the next room where Dana is staying. She starts to take off her clothes, unaware that the mirror in her room is revealing everything to Holden in the next room. Holden runs into Dana's room and tells her what's going on, and they switch rooms. Now Dana can see Holden, and she definitely likes what she sees. I don't agree with that synopsis. She did not like what she saw because she quickly put the fucking painting back up, that little prudish I would have sat there with my bag of popcorn and watched me a show. Amen. But let's go back to the <laughs> fuck off. Let's go back to the freaking cabin. Come on, Evil Dead. You know how yes. big of a Evil Dead stand I am. And mm-hmm. this just, it gave me everything. I was expecting Ash to just come out and be groovy. <laughs> <laughs> they straight up took a page from the Evil Dead's uh, Book of the Dead and built the cabin like almost like to the T, and they even got the angles down as well. So I love the homage. It, I think it's a wonderful homage. The places that do the homage sometimes work, sometimes doesn't work. This, it fucking works because you have to see the f- 
hello, we're gonna say it. The cabin in the woods. Ding, 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 ding. They we said, said it. it. <laughs> this two-way mirror thing though, doesn't go anywhere for me. What is the purpose of this mirror? Skin. Hey, the I mean, we're not <laughs> We did get to see Jesse Williams. God damn, I really wish we got to see more. His I eyes really are so just like pools I want to get lost in. All the people at the facility have gathered to place bets on what fate the people in the cabin will choose. Hadley really wanted to be a merman. A new agent called Truman is shocked by the way he sees others are behaving. A more seasoned agent, Lynn, tells him that she understands how he feels, but he shouldn't judge the others for their seemingly flippant behavior. Truman, however, continues to question Hadley and Citizen about the proceedings. Truman thinks it's unfair, although they all seem to understand that what is going on is of the utmost importance. So I have to ask you the quick question though. Who would have you placed bets on if we didn't know where this outcome was going? Because I actually pulled up this fucking list. Are you ready for them? Yeah. We have werewolf, alien beast, mutants, reptilicus, wraiths, zombies, clowns, witches, sexy witches, <laughs> demons, evil molesting tree, giant snake, demon hell lords, deadites, Kevin, the mummy, the bride, twins, a giant, a jack-o'-lantern, zombie, redneck torture family, which is very different from zombies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We also have reanimated, unicorn, merman, sugar, sugar plum fairy, vampires, dragon bat, snowman, scarecrow folk, dolls, adopters, and more. Evil molesting tree, for sure, hands down, the <laughs> wood. <laughs> I hate you, I hate you. I probably would have gone with the jack-o'-lantern because I really wanted to know what that was. I also want to know who Kevin is, so I probably would have picked that. But in my heart of hearts, seeing a unicorn murder is just the most fucking metal thing I've ever oh, seen. And I love my it! God, the unicorn death. It. I'm gonna save my feelings for when we get to that scene. I love but it. we'll get to it. How do you feel about all this betting though? How do you like this device? I think it's hilarious. I think it's, I think it's like, so, it's so, we're going to say it multiple times throughout this episode. It's so meta, but it's, it gives you like a, how am I describing this? I like the scene. We'll just say that. I think what makes it so good for me is that like, these people are just going to their job. It's a nine to five. And this is the one time they get to stay after work, chill, get to know everybody. The intern, unfortunately, is still here. We don't pay you. Go home. <laughs> Have a cocktail and see these kids get their comeuppets. Because Lynn does try to do that. Like, oh my God, I know they're horrible people. But I'm placing my bets on the merman too. <laughs> <laughs> she it's wants to see some much. merman wiener. Ew! <laughs> huh? What you want some dick? Back at the cabin, everyone goes into the living room, and of course, what are we gonna do? Let's get this party started. They say that line like three times throughout this one. Marty continues to smoke the pot that he brought with him, and they're all getting pretty tanked, and it starts to play truth or dare. Jules is dared to make out with the wolf head mounted on the wall. Then it's uh, Dana's uh, uh, turn. It's a moose. Uh? <laughs> I dare you to go make out with that moose over there. <laughs> I love Marty. Then it's, then it's Dana's turn. She has just chosen dare when the door to the basement flies open, startling all of them. They dare her to go down into the basement, and of course she does, and the rest follow. There is a ton of extremely strange artifacts, items, 
weird things down there. Dana picks up a diary and Kurt chooses a puzzle ball and tries to open it. Jules likes a wedding dress and starts to put on a necklace. Marty's looking and plays with a conch shell and film strips. Holden is mesmerized by a child's jewelry box that opens to reveal a dancing ballerina. When all of a sudden, the people back at the facility are quiet on the edge of their seats. And Dana says, Hey guys, listen to this. And everyone else puts down their items when they're looking at and walk over to her to read the diary. The, I love this setup scene. This setup scene is so cute. It reminds me of like the Warrens, like their artifact room. Yeah, it's very <laughs> reminiscent of that. This is pre-conjuring, right? I love this scene. I love, <laughs> I think my favorite part of the scene is uh, when the cellar door opens up and Chris Hemsworth goes, it, it must have been the wind. And Marty goes, and that makes what kind what of sense? Kind of sense? <laughs> it's not realistic. It's just not realistic. <laughs> the stoner is the only one who's making sense of this movie. I love how this progresses. My favorite line is when Dan is like, I think this is Latin. We should read it. Don't read the Latin. Read the Latin. It's wonderful. I think this progression is sick. I wish I w maybe we could have gotten like a cabin in the woods too. If spoiler alert, everybody didn't die at the end of this fucking movie because it would have <laughs> been cool to see all of these like different types of cabin in the woods go forward. Mm, no sequel for me. I think it's perfect as a one-off. But I appreciate all the nods. Yes, and all the references. <laughs> The diary in question belonged to a young girl who was brutally beaten by her father. There is something about how they will all return once someone reads some Latin words at the end of a diary. Marty says, hello, don't read it. But he hears a voice tell Dana to read it. Read the oh, diary. <laughs> no one else seems to hear the words. And against the advice of Marty, Dana reads the Latin and somewhere outside, the family from the diary returns from their graves. Dun, dun, dun. Back at the facility, it turns out the maintenance guys won the bets and the new intern also won in the pool. I love his, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I love the way he announced it because it's like the maintenance team and the intern. He's like, <laughs> yeah! And Hadley is extremely bummed that he won't get to see a merman. I just wanted to see a merman. <laughs> He had the conch in his hands. <laughs> I know, I know. Who would have known if we had waited a minute after? The the tension is so fucking funny released in a comedic way that I wasn't expecting. <laughs> I also love when they he has to break down the difference between zombies and torture redneck zombies. It's like the difference between a seal and an elephant seal. <laughs> or an elephant and an elephant seal. But I voted on zombies too. Like it's so <laughs> fucking good. The humor there is hilarious and those actors sell the shit out of it for me. They are heavily included in some of the special features on the DVD and I they see. are fucking hilarious. They are so good. It's just one thing after another. <laughs> I can only imagine a lot of this was ad-libbed. I'm sure. Back at the cabin, the kids go back into the living room. Jules and Kurt are acting out of character. Jules is dancing very suggestively in front of the fire and Kurt is being aggressive and insulting about his girlfriend. Marty notices this, but his concerns are brushed off by the others. I have a theory. <laughs> of course he does. I fucking can't. There's UFOs, man. Over that hill, man. I saw them. <laughs> Kurt and Jules decide to go for a walk, and thanks to some pheromones in the fog, they start to have sex in the woods, but they are quickly stopped by the zombies. 
Jules is stabbed in the hand, but Kurt saves her. But then he's stabbed in the shoulder, but survives. And Jules is recaptured and beheaded while Kurt watches. <laughs> oh, the humanity. But he gets away and runs back to the cabin. So we get uh, our first kill of the movie. And it's frigging brutal. The zombie weapon of the bear trap attached to a chain is demented. And it is beautifully sick it is beautifully sick because when it's the back it's the fact that he grabs her by the back (laughs) and tugs her like she weighs like two pounds he Uh uh-huh oh my god this death is brutal how 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 do you feel about this brutal ass death i think it was a great first kill for the movie it definitely set the tone of yes we're tongue-in-cheek but also we're gonna go hard on the horror and the gore because it is not let up. This is only the beginning for the brutality of what's to come. These are the parts that become even funnier to me and super meta because now we're flipping switches and nozzles and all of a sudden the <laughs> pheromones are going up. Let's get the lighting ready. It's hilarious. It's like... It's I'm surprised so- some Sade didn't come on out of the speakers. <laughs> smooth operator. Oh, smooth operator. It's so tongue-in-cheek and hilariously explains why this is currently ha- why this consistently happens to horny teens and it's it's come on this this is where the Joss Whedon not the Joss Whedon this is where the script stuff gets so good but then it loses me some other times I'm just that's, that's I'm a fair bitch, I guess bitter Betty you are but what else is new ah <laughs> As Jewel dies, Hadley and Sitterson recite what seems to be a prayer. Hadley pulls a lever and blood runs into a groovestone tablet that contains the outline of a female figure. The whore. The ground starts to shake. The, this is where like the ancient ones start coming into play mm-hmm. and we start understanding. The, the thing though, for all of like the blood breaking and then going into a tunnel, all I could think about was like Willy Wonka's blood factory at the beginning of Willy Wonka when there's this like candy being made. That's what it looks like. Oh my God. You are so <laughs> demented in dark time and place. <laughs> well, hello, we're on this podcast. We're demented people. <laughs> Look at the material. You should be going home You can anyway. be the judge of it. Marty hears a voice in his head and goes outside to see Kurt running towards him, fighting off a zombie. They both ran inside and locked the door. Kurt tells everyone that Jules is dead. She's dead. <laughs> they decide to barricade the house and stick together. Courtesy of the facility, a voice tells him to split up, but only Marty consciously hears it. He begs the others not to split up, but nobody listens. And Dana, Holton, and Marty each go into their own rooms and the door is promptly shut and locked behind them. This is pretty cool. I like that the facility is sort of like like secretly running things. Like, oh, these doors are going to close now. We're going to lock them in there. Get these zombies to fuck them up. It, it explains all the absurdities and like plot holes in horror movies. Like now they're going to split up when everyone's like, why would you do that? Oh, because yeah. they're being mind controlled by some fog. I have to mention though, probably the funniest physical acting in this damn movie is when Kurt's chugging along and that zombie girl's there. He doesn't think twice. He just decks that bitch and she does a full <laughs> flip. It's so funny and it kills me every time. Bam, Sid, super bitch. (laughs) 
<laughs> no one at the facility can figure out why their tricks aren't working on Marty. He's not following the plan, and he can hear the voices. They're worried he's going to ruin everything. But back in Marty's room, he gets startled and breaks the lamp. He picks it up and finds a camera. This is proving everything he's been saying about this place. He's about to investigate further when a zombie comes through the window ah! and pulls him outside. They struggle. <laughs> Marty is stabbed in the back and dragged out of sight. Bad noises follow. Oh no, our poor Marty. The best line is, oh, I'm on a reality show. Yeah, <laughs> so I was just about to say it. Such a burnout. <laughs> I was just about to say that if you didn't mention, it's my favorite line. <laughs> Real world, cabin in the woods. It's so, it's hilarious. They should have totally done the spinoff like that and had each one of them do the like confessionals. <laughs> but like the opening credits were like. I'm Raymond and I'm from sunny Los Angeles. I'm just here for a good time and to get my head chopped off. <laughs> I would have gagged for the confessionals because I wanted one of the zombies of just like Jules, like, oh my God. And there I was. They were chopping my head off. And then we cut the zombies. And it's just, ah. What if they had like <laughs> buck uh, the confessionals for the zombies? And I was Anna Buckler was like, that bitch just did not want to go down. I had to take her <laughs> down like three times with that bear claw trap. <laughs> People at the facility are relieved that Marty won't be ruining their plan. However, they're still investigating to see why their drugs didn't work on him. They determined that when they were lacing his pot with their drugs they missed one of his stashes and whatever it was that he was smoking made them immune to his tricks blood runs into the outline of the reveler and the ground shakes a zombie tries to break through Dana's window hearing this in the next room Holden breaks the glass between their rooms and pulls her into his they find a door in the floor that leads to another room in the basement it appears that this is the room where the father beat and tortured the girl from the diary. They try to find a way out, but the door won't open. Just then, one of the zombies finds them and stabs Holden in the back. Janice stabs the zombie in the friggin' eye, just as Kurt opens the door from the other side. The three of them get in the RV, the door closes, and a bloody handprint is seen on the outside of the door. I have to mention, so this room appears in the basement and all of a sudden it's a room that's like coordinated with the diary. Do you think the cabin would have changed depending on like what they picked? Do you think that like that torture room would have been like a fish tank for the merman and that's where he's been living? Like, I wanna know if this shit is like ever changing like the creature is, you know? That's a good question. Uh... Uh, I don't know. Sure, why not? Maybe they're like, interchangeable cubes like all the monsters are so depending on what monster they conjure maybe that room changes out like what if they picked that hellraiser guy and it was just like some bdsm room and then like the whole plot changes. hey, <laughs> hey leather daddy Ow. <laughs> as they head toward the tunnel hadley realizes that the demolition crew never set off the explosion that causes the tunnel to cave in and block their exit as the trio frantically tries to get away hadley and citizen are frantically trying to get excuse me trying to correct this oversight the rv makes it halfway through the tunnel when it starts to cave in they reverse back the way they came in and make it out just in time kurt has a dirt bike in the back of the rv when he decides to jump the ravine to go and get help like the bird, he hits the invisible barrier and dies. This one is just great. Okay. It is. He gives this like heroic monologue about how he's going to go get the 
police and the army and the National Guard, and they're going to bring everybody back to kill these motherfuckers. Look, you guys just stay in the Rambler. I'll get help. If I wipe out, I'll fucking limp for help. But I'm coming back here. I'm coming back with cops, choppers, and large fucking guns, and those things are going to pay for jewels. And it is, it makes me feel so awkward. I feel so weird that Chris Hemsworth has to deliver these lines. It's great. I love this cheesy, like heroic speech only for him to smack his little head on an invisible barrier. It's pretty, gosh darn, like hard too. That looks And then gruesome. he keeps hitting the barrier the whole way down. Dana and Holden see what happened to Kurt and realize that Marty was right all along. They head back towards the cabin trying to figure a way out. Holden is quickly stabbed through the head and the RV crashes into the lake. It turns out that there was a zombie in the RV. <sighs> Once in the lake, Dana fights off the zombie and gets out through the overhead hatch and swims to the surface. She makes it on top to the pier and when the zombie comes up from the water, literally starts beating the crap out of her. It's kind of... She looks like a rag doll. Like you can, like the way he's tossing her is so funny. <laughs> well, because the virgin must suffer. She doesn't have to die, but she must suffer. And bitch, is she suffering? I was You're that girl. I knew you were. Holden's death is so quick, and it's because he's trying to calm her down. He's like, No, no, no. I need you. You can't just go off the deep end. And she's like, Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And then BAM! Bitch went down! <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Bitches. I'm sad that Holden's death was so quick because I love looking at Jesse Williams. But I think oh, it's... I know. It's so good. And is it just me? Do you hold your breath whenever a character is put into, like... Underwater? <laughs> yes! And I hate it. I would have died. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt you're passed out watching this movie. Back at the facility, they are celebrating a successful night. Evidently, the quote, virgin, doesn't have to die for the plan to be successful. This is extremely important since all of the other sites, i.e. Japan, Germany, have failed to complete the ritual. They open a bottle of champagne and start drinking. When suddenly, the red phone rings. And you all know it's important because everybody gets really quiet. He tells everybody to shut up. Everybody has to get quiet because you know it's serious because it's red. Hadley answers. A tense conversation follows. Apparently, the rules weren't followed. There's a very specific formula. Everybody's, Everybody's a, a suspect. suspect. I had to. One of the others is still alive. If Dana dies first. <laughs> you really need to go into commercial work. <laughs> <laughs> I love when everyone starts praising them. They're like, oh my God, you're just like an artist. I, I, I don't know how you do it. Yeah, you know, a merman would have been pretty cool though. <laughs> Give it up, man. Give it up, girl. <laughs> Y'all celebrated too soon. I adore though, when they show the other countries trying to do this ritual, because <laughs> Japan was doing, like trying to kill these nine-year-old girls. And my favorite line is, how hard is it to kill nine-year-olds? What, like it's hard? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they overcome the like ring-like ghosts by turning her into a frog. It's very on brand for TCQ video, wanting to kill the goddamn kids. <laughs> we love to see it. Dana is still getting the crap kicked out of her by the zombie. Stop! He's already dead. Marty comes out of nowhere and beats the zombie with 
da 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 his giant coffee bong until his collapsible falls, bong until he falls into the water he grabs is it dana or dana dana you've been saying dana this whole time you haven't corrected me <laughs> i was gonna let you sound like an idiot <laughs> I hate you. He grabs Dana and they run into the woods. The zombies are after them. He jumps into one of the graves that the zombies came out of and starts digging. Although Dana can't quite figure out what's going on, suddenly Marty opens the door and they fall into a room right before the zombies grab them. And this room, it, this is like revealing the secrets of Disneyland. You're going behind the scenes of this theme park. Hi, it's fucking Mickey. You and are going behind the cast members only door. The, ooh, how like elite member. <laughs> club 33. This Tell me, tell me, tell me. Tell me, is there a club car? This, the third act for me is the most interesting part because this is when the shit starts getting fucking cool. This mm -hmm. is when like all hell starts breaking loose. And I think it's so funny that like these woods are literally Disneyland. Like they're pumping smells through Main Street. And <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's very much that. They are going behind the scenes. Marty tells Dana that this was all set up. He's discovered an access panel and started playing with the wires inside. Marty shows Dana an elevator and deduces that someone sent the zombies to attack them. She's not sure about getting in the elevator, but they don't have any other options. Through the glass window of their elevator, Dana and Marty can see other elevators that contain supernatural creatures connected to the strange items in the basement of the cabin. The sugar plum fairy, the puzzle ball, the doll faces, the killer bride, etc. Dana recognizes the connection and deduces that the group, quote, chose their means of their own deaths, meaning the zombies. This is probably my favorite set piece because it's so simple. It's just glass and there's like just blackness. And then these creatures emerge and it's, I want this as a, a, its own concept, its own idea, its own maze. I need this more in my life. I can't praise this part enough. I think it's talented, so brilliant, wicked. Incredible, I love amazing, seeing different versions of all these horror movie characters done in just sick makeup. Come on, y'all. Yeah, they, they come up with some great, like, I don't want to, this is no shade, but like generic versions of like notable <laughs> monsters like their knockoff of hellraiser is amazing but this is a great concept and this was a great scene to this movie because essentially with their theory and their filmmaking they essentially said that any horror movie out in the genre can be linked back to this which is such a freaking cool concept and I, one of my favorite lines is we have we need to go down there do we want to go down there? So, oh, what is that? Oh, ominous. This, it's, it's wicked. And Dana trying, just like slamming the glass and hell not razor is just like, okay. Like <laughs> not <what>? hell razor. <laughs> Meanwhile, the observers are in an uproar because Dana and Marty have penetrated their facility. Don't say penetrated. They make plans to kill. They make plans to kill Marty in order to preserve the intended order of the sacrificial deaths. Pinpointing the elevator number, an armed guard is sent to them and instructed to kill both of them. He attempts at Marty first, but fails when the zombie corpse that's left in the elevator distracts him. Dana and Marty kill him and move out into the hallway. A female voice speaks over to them through the PA system, sympathizing with them for their predicament, but insisting that they must die. 
more armed guards show up and start firing them and they run into what looks like a control room and hide. Dino realizes that there is a control panel that monitors access to the elevators containing the monsters. As they are being attacked by soldiers with machine guns and other artillery, they randomly start to push buttons and Dana finds it's like an Austin Powers, like large purge <laughs> system button. And suddenly yeah. the alarms start going off over the facility and the guards pause in terror when ding, all of the elevators open while monsters emerge. The soldiers are massacred and the monsters get into all areas of the facility, slaughtering workers as they tear through. Marty and Dana are cornered by the monsters, but they climb through a hole where one of them has smashed through during the carnage. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, let's dial it back here a okay. little. Okay. Um, this guard gets taken down way too easily for my liking, but whatever. <laughs> and then we <laughs> move out. We move out to the hallway where the director comes over the intercom and says, "You've seen horrible things. An army of nightmare creatures." But they are nothing compared to what came before. What lies below. It's our task to placate the ancient ones, as it's yours to be offered up to them. Forgive us, and let us get this over with. Amazing. Sigourney, Sigourney. Weaver. Love it. So, this Live is very it. telling. This is giving us more story. I do, however, have a problem, like you stated, with this Austin Powers big red button purge. <laughs> Don't push. Like, I gra- granted this is like a tongue-in-cheek, you know, trope kind of movie. So I guess this or there would be this kind of button in one of those movies. I just don't like it. I feel like it's kind of a cop out. It like, is the- a cop out. That is why I hate it because <laughs> literally up until they get into the elevator, they have been playing with tropes, and that is my problem with it because it's just trope after trope after trope after trope after trope with another trope, a meta trope with a meta joke. And then once we get here, it starts getting original. And I really like this point because this massacre that occurs is so cool. It is wicked. The carnage and the mayhem that happens is just, that's top notch. That's beautiful. Cause it's just a giant love letter to horror movies and it's done miraculously. But then you give us this button that starts all of this and it just feels cheap do i look upset too i guess they just couldn't find like couldn't think of a better way to like progress this along to get to where they wanted to get so i guess the easiest way would just be like yeah let's throw a purge button in this like little security guard booth that she (laughs) easily had access to There weren't any keys. There weren't any <laughs> access codes. There was no windows. There wasn't even a door, bitch. Y'all asked for this to happen. It's just all, <laughs> that, all that I'm saying. So through all of this carnage, the unicorn attack. The wonderful <gasps> unicorn attack. It's like Harry Potter on steroids. <laughs> it's, it's so good. We have to talk about the unicorn attack because they actually built a unicorn head this isn't cgi and this ain't no horse with like a little party cone on his head they built this <laughs> unicorn head from scratch and used it to kill one of the people it's amazing never would i have ever thought i'd seen a unicorn kill somebody in a horror movie 
And I like how they show it because we see it multiple cuts throughout, but the best cuts and some of the coolest parts, which is why I like rewatching this movie, is that the facility has all of these security cameras and different viewings and positions. So it's cool when you get to watch all of this mayhem happen. We get a jack-o'-lantern that like spits fire. We get a giant goddamn snake, some fog from the fog. Hi, DJ Stevie Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's reference after reference. This is where I think the reference meta stuff is just cool because you're not redoing it. You're doing it in your own way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In the facilities control room, Hadley, Lynn, and Truman are just desecrated by monsters. And in a wonderful case of what's meant to happen, Hadley finally gets to see his merman right before it kills him. Sitterson manages to activate an escape hatch and manage and emerges into a stone hallway, but he is quickly fatally stabbed by Dana. This is where Dana and Marty have ended up as well. Before Sitterson dies, he tells Dana, kill him. And Dana is afraid to go on, but Marty gives her a gun that he took from a dead guard. The merman, the merman scene is probably the best scene in this whole movie. It's so rewarding. It's so rewarding. It's worth it. It's worth it. And he got to see his fucking merman bitch. <laughs> he got his girl. Girl, is it a merman? That thing is genuinely terrifying. It's horrifying. And oh, I I just I'm so satisfied with his death and the like geyser of blood <laughs> that this merman spews from the top of his spout or whatever and that wasn't even all of it that i saw the behind the scenes and it was only the ending of that geyser of blood had it been the whole geyser that scene would have lasted like a full minute of just blood spewing out i want the full take of it done with all the editing where it's a full minute because then it really would feel like an austin powers movie like when he keeps peeing <laughs> yeah oh behave <laughs> It's so good. This reveals everything. I just have to give a quick note to these special effects that it, everything's magnificent, but what sells it for me is the nasty, greasy strings of hair that this mermaid Ew. has. Ah, it's That's so no Derek gnarly. Zoolander. <laughs> so gnarly. Marty and Dana end up in the room with all the character outlines. Dana realizes that there are five stone tablets, one for each of them. Everything that's happened to them has been part of a ritual sacrifice. And then we get our, our reveal of the director. Ripley herself, Sigourney Weaver, appears. Were you gagged? I was gagged. Sigourney Weaver, and I thought I'd recognize her voice, but sometimes you can't like pinpoint it. And then when she revealed herself, I was like, yes. Not only that, yes. the look from head to toe with everything. I love that she's wearing black gloves and this power suit. I I will follow the power you wherever top. you need to. A what? <laughs> <laughs> she is a power top. She's a Dom power top. Yes, we love to see it. She explains about the facility and their purpose. She says the ritual is older than anything known to man. Even she and her peers aren't sure of everything, but the ritual is conducted worldwide in order to appease the, quote, dark gods. She says that the monsters they've seen are nothing compared to them, and both Dana and Marta realize that they are standing over a pit that leads to where the old gods are sleeping. The director explains that the ritual is meant to keep them dormant and they must follow specific rules. There are five sacrificial victims. The whore dies first. And after that, four more archetypes follow. 
the scholar, the athlete, the fool. The order of their deaths doesn't matter as long as the whore is the first to die and the virgin is the last one alive. The director says it is up to the gods whether the virgin lives. The line delivery in this one is also great. Virgin, we work with what we have. <laughs> and I, oh. Very fitting. I mean, <sighs> it's so, yes, yes. Because who's a virgin these days? <laughs> so is virgin, a, like, so in this case, is virgin like not a thing and more of like a, it's a feeling. It, it's, it, it's, <laughs> it's a, a way of life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a virgin in my heart. <laughs> I was half a virgin when I met him. <laughs> no, no, vir no, no half virgins either need a full version. So no uh, poop hole loophole here. <laughs> ew, ew. <laughs> So this right here is where I feel like it is both great, but also just, this is my own complaint, where I feel like it thinks it's so smart because the gods are us. We are the gods. And this is us just consistently coming back for more horror movies. We're continuously watching this ritual happen over and over again. And we're not happy with where this movie's going. It becomes so meta that it's like, falling within its own dimension and i'm expecting like the superman thing where he gets get trapped in that like, that square dimension thing and we see it go whoa <laughs> it's it, am i the only one who feels that way because this ending does feel satisfactory but here where it's starting to get the explanation i just start going oh i get it is it me it's me. it's you it's you it's, it's not me it's you because <laughs> I don't feel this way. I really? don't mind the these gods. I don't mind the the sacrifices. I don't mind the storyline. I don't mind the archetypes. I am living for all of this. So get with it, bitch, or get out. There's the door, bitch! <laughs> <laughs> if the sacrifice is not completed, the old gods will come to the surface and destroy mankind. The director says Marty must die to save the world. Marty says that if a bloodthirsty ritual is required to save mankind, then maybe mankind isn't worth saving. Marty is hurt when Dana raises the gun to kill him. She is conflicted, but she doesn't want the world to end. And without warning, Dana is attacked by a werewolf, ah! which proceeds to viciously maul her. When she drops the gun, Marty picks it up and fires on the werewolf and it runs off wounded. The director tries to kill Marty, but the zombie girl from the diary appears and kills the director instead. Marty kicks them both into the pit with the gods and Dana and Marty make up and smoke a joint while they contemplate the end of the world. The ground shakes and starts to crack open. The cabin in the woods starts shaking furiously and a, a giant hand comes crashing up through it and slams down on the ground in front of it as the first of the old gods reaches the surface and our movie ends literally with the end of the world like everybody dies i will give him that everybody dies death to all of them oh, everybody the movie ends with the end of the world that's a pretty solid ending that is a pretty solid ending and I, this interaction is when she raises that gun for some reason i laugh because i'm just like oh, it was you it was you all along <laughs> <laughs> there's no gods it's you <laughs> 
I think this ending is solid. I think you like close it out at the end and the fact that we close out with them smoking a joint is just, it's it's so tongue in cheek. And I love that the stoner actually lives. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, it doesn't live, but makes it out to the end. <laughs> and the him smoking weed, the marijuana was an aid to him throughout the entire movie because it made him immune to their drugs, which is so awesome. But also, I have to quickly tag on really here, right, really quickly right here that on the behind the scenes, Sigourney Weaver was so excited to see the werewolf and to be shooting a movie with the werewolf. Apparently, according to the director, every day she would ask, where's the werewolf? Is the werewolf going to be here today? When is the werewolf getting on set? She was so excited that even on the behind the scenes when they're taking their cast photos, she was hanging on to the werewolf in the cast photo. She was so so genuinely excited to see the werewolf. She was so hyped. (laughs) So we're finally at the end of this movie. And I want to know, what is your rating and your final like emotions towards this Hyper, hella, meta, 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 2.0 movie. I love this movie. I love this movie. I know, I feel like from the people that I've spoken to, this movie is very polarizing. (laughs) They either like get it and are totally on board with all the meta and self-referential dark humor of it, or they don't get it and all they see are the archetypes and they just see dribble that they've seen over and over and over Mm -hmm. again. I get it. I see both sides of the coin. I, myself, however, am very much in on the joke. I love all the self-referential meta material. Um, I love all the dark humor. I love Marty the Stoner. I love Sigourney Weaver. I love Chris Hemsworth. I love Jesse Williams. So fine. I'm gonna have to give this movie a five out of five. Wow! Wow. I think it's the first time I've ever given a movie a five out of five on the pod, but I genuinely love this movie. Wow. (laughs) Wow. I was not expecting that. I mean, you have every right to those emotions and feelings. And I think you are right that if you're not on board, you're not on board. If you are on board, you love this movie. For some reason, I'm so on the fence, even still to this to this day. And I dragged John to go see this movie. Like I forced, them <laughs> to go see, like every horror movie I make them go to see, I forced them there. <laughs> and this movie is good. I know I've been like really poking holes and you know holes into this movie. I can definitely see the good and the 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 hilarity and why it's self-referencing it it's just for some reason now watching it i think sometimes it's so forced that i get pulled out of it that it like it doesn't dampen it for me i'm just like oh okay yeah no like that's a reference i get it but what are you bringing (laughs) what are you bringing to the story and for me it my favorite parts are the ending because it does its own thing and it it goes off the fucking rails as it should for me, it's a three out of five. It's like a good, <gasps> it's a good movie. It's a good movie. It's not my favorite movie, but it is a good movie. This is the wildest rating we've ever had. Like we've never had two like differences different- in ratings. Yes, yeah. this is where I guess it is very polarizing. I don't know. Like I like it and I don't. It's not my first choice to go, but if it's on sci-fi, I'll watch it. Well, there's no accounting for taste. I hate you. I hate you so much. <laughs> That- well, I mean, I that this there's the first for everything. This is the first time where we've had pretty like po- polarizing opinions on the movie. You have very you have a lot of opinions of me tonight, Shay. Do I look upset to you? 
<laughs> that was our first stop on our vacation. And now we are craving an island retreat for our next stop. I don't know, I wanna, okay. I wanna announce this one. I wanna announce Okay, this go one. ahead. Ah! Okay. <laughs> for our next flick, we are craving an island retreat for our next stop on vacation. Something tropical, filled with sunshine, and to learn a few things about some extinct dinosaurs. Next week, y'all, we are setting our sights on Isla Nublar to visit Steven Spielberg's classic Jurassic Park. I am so stoked to see some dinosaurs. Dinosaurs? This is our second Steven Spielberg in such a a small time frame. But I mean, come on. It is Jurassic Park. This is nostalgia on nostalgia. And I'm so frigging stoked to talk about dinosaurs. It's one of my favorites. It's one of my favorites. And people are going to fight us and argue that this is not a horror movie. And all I have to say is meet me in the parking lot, bitch. How about you tune into next week's episode to find out for sure? Because I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it for next week. (laughs) Oh, she's getting heated already. I'm already getting heated on this. This one's a great one. This one's a fantastic one. Jeff Goldblum. That's all you had to to say for me. Jeff Goldblum, yes. (laughs) If you'd like to keep up with us, you can follow us on our Instagram at The Carpenter Queens. Our Twitter account is at Carpenter Queens. My personal account for Instagram is at Nicholas Alexander Photography. My personal account is at STFU Ray. And that concludes this week's episode, Queerdos. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Stay queer, stay safe, stay masked up. Mask up! Respect yourself! Love each other! We almost got through this episode without a fucking (laughs) Gaga quote. God damn it, Jackie! (laughs) Next one! Another one! (laughs) Bye, everybody! (laughs) Bye, 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 bye!